Hello, everyone. This is Parrish Alford with the Daily Journal. This is another edition of Justify Your Existence, a Daily Journal podcast. I'm joined by Ole Miss beat writer Michael Katz and very cold uh, MSU beat writer uh, Stefan Kreischnick. Guys, uh, how are you? I'm good. Uh, my my first Nashville experience was a success. I got Hattie B's, and that means that, that that was my only marker for success. So it was pretty good. And got Hattie B's early in the trip, man. I'm I'm seeing that those uh, those Twitter chicken pictures, man. On like on day one, so that was that was good. And and uh, it's funny. I I texted my sister, and I was like, Yeah, I went to this chicken place. So she's like, Oh, what was it called? And she's like, Hattie. She's like, I've heard of that. And I was like, Am I the only one? Like, I thought I found like the secret. And it was like, No, everybody knows Hattie B's. But you didn't just go to the chicken place. You went to the hot chicken place. You know. Yes. Yes. And I, I caught it at a place where there wasn't much of a line. So it was, it's like all, all the stars connected. Oh, well, that is amazing. If you get there and there's not a line, uh, Steph, I know that you were in uh, familiar surroundings there in Indianapolis, but something uh, new with the NFL combine. And my only experience with that was uh, 2016. And um, I think it was different. It looked like, were you guys able to watch uh, workouts? Uh, yeah, we, we were able to get into to Lucasville and watch workouts of that nature. Um, but, well, well it, it was a cool experience. It was cool, you know, kind of seeing how um, everything works. And, you know, the, the convention center in Indianapolis is, um, you know, the cool thing about Indianapolis is, like, everything is almost connected by tunnels. Um, you know, it kind of starts with the convention center anchoring it all. So, you know, from the convention center downstairs, we have the press room. Uh, where we're doing interviews and stuff and then way upstairs we got the media room and then down through a tunnel you get to lucas oil so there's there's this whole thing about finding your way around and i definitely got my steps in going through all these places but um you know it helps being back in familiar territory i was able to, to get around a little bit easier than maybe if i had gone somewhere i'd never been before um you know i, I hit the indianapolis staples i went to harry and izzy's and um i'm not a huge shrimp guy but everyone around me was eating their shrimp cocktails and um, got to meet, I ran into Adam Schefter there. So got to meet Adam Schefter. So any prominent NFL figure was in Indianapolis. And then I guess I was part of that. <laughs> yeah. What, what, what were your bench press numbers? <laughs> um, those aren't made public quite yet. I'll, I'll get right. back to you. I'll get back to you when I'm a little more comfortable sharing that the bench yeah. press, the bench press was probably my favorite event because that took place inside the convention center and it was right next to where the press conferences were. And the whole thing about the bench press is you, you, you bring in a group of like 10, 15 players and the other 14 are supposed to like, kind of like amp you up while you're the one like bench pressing. And then they have like the spotter. He's like mic'd up to like be like yelling, like, come on, keep going, keep going, keep going. And it's just crazy because I'm over here, like talking to Matt Corral behind me, these speakers are just blaring, screaming, like, keep going, keep going, keep going. I'm like, what is going on? And then I realized that the rooms were connected. I was like, this is such a random place to have the bench press. Ah, that's beautiful. Man, that's good. It's also good to hear about uh, uh, Indianapolis's local, uh, you know, home-raised uh, shrimp there, that they do that there in Indianapolis. <laughs> people love it. People love it. St. Elmo's and Harry and Izzy's. People, people are fans. So. I didn't, didn't know that was a thing there. Uh, <laughs> look, basketball is a thing, and, and, and we're nearing the finish line here. Let's talk about uh, – uh, the women first, uh, Michael, I've never seen a coach so happy and content with not winning as Yolette McPhee McEwen has been in these two games against South Carolina. 
and and I get it, and 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 it's almost refreshing to see a coach, you know, admit that hey, you know, their program's at a different level than ours, and uh, you know, we're going to win. We're, we're going to do everything in our power to win. We're going to try to win, but but we recognize value in in achieving some other goals uh, along the way. So. Uh, Ole Miss and South Carolina, the SEC women's semis, that kind of ended the Rebel stay. Uh, what what did you see there? Yeah, I, I think, the, the, like you said, the refreshing thing is it's not so much the, the wins and the losses, it's kind of how they look and how those games feel. And uh, I think for two and a half quarters of that game, she probably wasn't feeling very good because they were down 25. But then at the end, when it's an eight point game with a minute left and they've made this huge comeback and they've held South Carolina without a field goal, the entire fourth quarter, you start to feel a little bit better about it. And that's kind of the feeling you got from the, when, when they played, uh, you know, just a, a few, you know, a week or whatever it was before uh, on senior night in, in Oxford. Um, they were in that game until, you know, the fourth quarter. I, I, it's, these are two very different programs in terms of, of, of where they are. And you know, yes, obviously we saw Kentucky, you know, pull off the upset yesterday against South Carolina. But, I, you know, South Carolina, or Kentucky had a weird year, but, you know, they were supposed to be pretty good before the season started. And they had the preseason conference player of the year in Ryan Howard. Uh, you know, that, that, you know, that's a team that hit like a weird kind of lull in the middle of the season. But that's a team that was supposed to be pretty good. Um, so I think circumstance, you know, circumstance wise during the year, it looks like a huge upset. But if you said during, you know, the start of the year that that's what it was, I don't think a lot of people would have been like, oh, yeah, that's that's a crazy one. Um, but you know, as, as, as Yo said, you know, you saw one program who has been there and done that and you have one that has not. And that's what Ole Miss is kind of trying. It's what they're going to be fighting against for the next few weeks. I mean, that, that's what March is. It, it's kind of learning how to deal with adversity and, and how to deal with, with those tough situations and, you know, responding. That's one of the things that she said was that, you know, we need to learn how, you know, she, she's happy that they responded this time. Because the first time in South Carolina, when they got their butts kicked by, you know, 30, they didn't respond at all. This time they responded, but it was a little bit too late. So now it's like, how do we respond earlier? And so that's what I think they're kind of trying to figure out over these next few days. But, uh, and I, 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 th I think they're happy with the fight. And, and I think there is something to be said for players learning that, they can compete with the number one team in the country. And, uh, you know, she had an interesting quote where she said, um, you know, sometimes you look at a jersey in your art, it's already a 10 point spread because there's this reverence for South Carolina and everything that they've done. And then, you know, once you get into a game, you realize it is just a, it's, it is just a jersey that you can play with them. And so I think, you know, yeah, they went on three against them, but I think they're learning, they've kind of learned a lot about themselves in those games and, uh, you know, I, I think if anything, I think you know, winning that Florida game, I think, was the important one. And let, let's be honest, as, as Yo said, no one thought they were going to beat South Carolina. And she's made that clear. If they did, it would be great. But that's not like it, that, that wasn't the end all be all of, of, of their matchups with them. Um, you know, they, they, they beat a Florida team that was playing pretty well. That was big. They made it to the semis for the first time in, since 93 or whatever it was. Um, I, I think for them, it was just kind of keep that good feeling going into the tournament. And, you know, would they have loved to have been South Carolina? Yes. But I think the way they ended that game and, and made it competitive and, and really kind of put a scare and, and, and kind of showed people like, hey, we are pretty good. We're not we're not we're not going to just, you know, roll over when we're down 25 anymore. 
I, I, I think all things considered, it, it was a pretty successful few days for them. Yeah, I think it was big that they beat Florida. They didn't beat just an SEC nobody there. They beat a team that was playing well. And and uh, anyway, so it was good to get that. And, and they were able, as you say, to leave feeling good about themselves. Okay, so this is the time of year uh, that I remember who Charlie Cream is. But, uh, you know, he's obviously the, I guess, is he the only uh, women's tournament uh, March Madness bracketologist? I mean, he's the only one anybody ever talks about. Uh and I think I saw that that he increased uh, the Rebels on his line from seven to six, a six seed. Is is that uh, what you think uh, for the ladies? Yeah, that's what I saw. It's funny because, you know, that's what she knows. You know, obviously she knows all the names. I, mean, I guess Cream is kind of like the Joe, you know, she's like the Joey Brackets of, of the women's side. But without context, she was like, She's like, and Cream has us as a six seed. And I was like, Cream, like the Eric Clapton band? Like, what is she, what is, what is he talking about here? It's like, oh, 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 him. Okay. Uh, but yeah, no, he's, he, he's, uh, he, he's like the only, he's, I mean, he's, he's the big one. And I, I checked it yesterday. I think it had him in the Ames, Iowa region. That would be a really cool matchup if they ended up playing Iowa because that's an Iowa team that's a lot of fun to watch. And they got the, probably the best, one of the best players in the country. Um, oh, be careful. Take it easy. Take it easy. Sorry, I'm sorry. Beat. Is that too soon? <laughs> Maybe a little bit. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I think, you know, the, I think they'd be pretty happy with the 16. Honestly, like, you know, obviously it, a lot of it depends on matchups and who's in your region, but I really do think this is the team from what I've seen the last few weeks that I could make it to the second weekend. Like, I think they could be a sweet 16 team. Like I, I think they are really, really good and they're fun and they're learning that they are really, really good. I, I think they had that potential. I'd like to see them play better offensively beyond Shakira Austin. Okay. Get, get a little more consistency there guys. I, I, I like, this might be a school record for the amount of time uh, we've spent talking about women's basketball, but I, I think these, both of these teams and I'm talking about Ole Miss and Mississippi State have had interesting and different stories this year. And uh, I know, Steph, you've been been tracking uh, Mississippi State's women as a an NCAA hopeful most of the season. And, you know, and, and frankly, that they were in that discussion uh, this year is win. I mean, they weren't uh, there weren't very high expectations. Uh, uh, and we saw what uh, uh, Doug Novak was able to do with this team and just in terms of uh, you know, adjusting on the fly to massive change, losing your best player, injuries, all these things, you know, finishing the last couple of weeks with just seven people. Um, what do you think, man? Do you think uh, he gets the forever job here? Yeah, well, I think a, a lot of that is um, the word think because, um, you know, he's certainly in the discussion, um, you know, as are other candidates. And, and Mississippi State has spoken to, to Doug Novak about it. Um, what happens from here is kind of still to be, you know, still to be seen. And then it, and it just comes down to what, what route, you know, John Cohen wants to take. And, um, you know, obviously the support for Doug Novak is immense because, um, you know, as he said uh, throughout the season and, and Maya Taylor has even echoed it, um, it's a very intelligent fan base um, at Mississippi state. And you could tell through the games that they were very understanding of the situation that him and, and the team were dealing with. Um, and, and that's why, you know, through these losses and, and it's been an ugly past month for Mississippi state to after since beating Ole Miss, um, you know, they've not looked good. I, I would say they've looked good, but they haven't, you know, they haven't won games. 
Um, and, and it's surprising, you know, to see a coach like that getting the support, but I think that the fans notice, um, you know, what, what he was able to do and, you know, we'll see what, what donors and other prominent figures within the athletic department, you know, have to say about it, but I'm sure a lot of them will also have uh, Novak support. You know, it comes down to, uh, it, it comes down to recruiting. You know, Doug Novak's never recruited the women's side. Um, you know, he's only coached on the men's side before he came into Mississippi State as a, as an assistant coach. If he can put together some kind of staff and, and prove, which he has to some degree proven with Eliza Winston and, and keeping, um, you know, the, the signee that Mississippi State had, um, you know, what, what, if he can recruit, well, there's not much more to it because everyone knows that he knows the X's, the X's and O's of the game. That's why he was brought in as an assistant by Nikki in the first place. Um, and now it's just a matter if he can prove the recruiting, well, then that's just uh, the cherry on top of what I'm sure, you know, a lot of people think he can do as a coach. So um, there certainly hasn't been any decision made yet. And, and Michael was there for us in, in Nashville. And um, I know that he had reported that um, Novak had said that there wasn't even a decision made regarding the WNIT. Um, you know, I, I haven't heard anything new about that, about their decision. And if they were to, you know, even get invited to the WNIT, that would be interesting because they were definitely a team that was exhausted by the end of the season. I mean, I, I, you could see it in those in the first matchup against Kentucky, against LSU, against Florida. I mean, they played hard, but man, those teams are, are exhausted by the end of the year, and and rightfully so. I mean, it, there's a reason you don't play with seven players on your roster for the entirety of an SEC season. And I think you kind of saw why. Um, so, to, if they would want to play WNIT, there's also part of it. Like these players probably wouldn't mind getting some rest either. Um, so that, yeah, that's, that's, what's kind of interesting. We'll see. And, and, and Novak definitely has the support of his players. And, um, you know, it's, if Maya Taylor said she's using her extra year of eligibility, she's not sure where she's going to be. And, and you have to take into account if, if, the, if Mississippi State has a fourth coach in, in two years coming up soon here, um, would anyone blame her for leaving? Probably not, you know, and, and she's a big piece of the program. And, and I'm sure, um, you know, I've heard that, that Doug Novak has, or I'm sorry, I should say John Cohen has, uh, reached out to her specifically and talked to her. I mean, her, she has a bit of a relationship with Cohen. So, you know, her opinion is one that's, that's important. And, and I think we know where she stands on everything because she's made it clear where she stands on everything. So um, it's a big decision coming up for, for Cohen and what he decides to do. Um, and, and I know that they want to handle it in a timely manner because, you know, with, with the way the transfer portal works now is, you know, if so-and-so is, is eliminated in the first round of the NCAA tournament, well, if they have a player that's going to transfer, right after the season ends, you, you got to go after it. Mississippi State season, depending on WNIT, is over. So there's nothing else for Novak to do or whatever new coach comes in to do than hit the transfer portal right away. And Doug proved they could do that with Eliza Winston, and that was with some instability uh, of what was going to happen with him. If he comes back and, and now his new pitch to transfer is, hey, I'm actually going to stay here for X amount of years with my contract, it only helps bring in recruits and, and transfers. So we'll, we'll see what happens. And, and I would assume there's going to be a decision made um, sometime soon. Um, how soon that is, I, I don't know exactly, but um, you know, th there's definitely some push um, from those in the athletic department to kind of get moving quick because of, of how, you know, transfer portal works now. And, uh, and I should say earlier with the Iowa stuff, Ames is Iowa state, um, Iowa city is Iowa, but you, that's, that's how you can see that it's a little too soon is that, just, just the thought of the state of Iowa got me going there. But, but in that region, Iowa is in that region. Well, good luck facing Caitlin Clark. <laughs> yeah, no, I know, right? It's yeah. It would no. that would be a fun matchup though. The like the way the pick and roll and 
and the way Caitlin Clark kind of utilizes her bigs um, would be really fun to watch against like Shakira Austin and, and the plethora of Ole Miss guards. Like it would be really fun to watch. I'm sorry, my, my 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 IO geography is is not where it should be. <laughs> That's all right. We are the world here, folks. So we we represent uh, the, the the West Coast, Midwest, and Serbia. It's all right. <laughs> we, we exactly are, we are the world. Uh, shifting gears a little bit. Uh, uh, men's basketball, March uh, sadness, no March madness uh, in Mississippi uh, for either of these teams. Short of winning the SEC tournament, uh, I don't expect that to happen. But uh, look, uh, so let's move on from there. Uh, Steph, you are our uh, all SEC voter. Uh, tell us about uh, your team, uh, who, who you turned in and why. This is, this is for the Associated Press all SEC team uh, that will come out uh, before the uh, SEC tournament. Hopefully. Yeah, there'll probably be some Mississippi State fans unhappy with me not, not mentioning uh, Iris Molinar and, and mine. And, and he was definitely player number six, like right right there. And, and it, you know, it's, you, you like to kind of see the, you know, the teams that you cover have some kind of success in those votes. And I, I, I went with J.D. Note over him and, and obviously put Scotty Pippen Jr. in there. Um, I had Oscar Sheboy as my center, pretty self-explanatory. And then I had um, Colin Castleton and, and Jabari Smith as my forwards. Um, you know, I, I, the, the thing with Iverson is that, you know, to, to some degree, you do have to respect the players that are on winning teams. J.D. Note took, you know, Arkansas from a team that was struggling a bit at the start of SEC play. And now, aside from Kentucky and Auburn, is probably the team you least uh, want to see on the opposing side. I mean, he, he changed, um, you know, a lot of where that team was heading this season with his play. Um, and I, I just felt he was worthy of that. Uh, player of the year, I went with Oscar Shibwe, with Jabari Smith as a close number two. And had Jabari Smith as the newcomer of the year and Bruce Pearl as the coach of the year. Um, granted, I, I think John Calipari definitely deserves some discussion of that, and, and Musselman also does. Um, but, but, man, Auburn had a hell of a season. And, and what he's you know been able to do in, in transforming that program and, and resurrecting that program uh, ha- has been outstanding. And, and as good as some of those other guys have been, you, you, it kind of seemed like a bit of a no-brainer. Like, that was what came first to my mind. And and even after thinking about it, I was like, I, I can't take this away from, from Bruce Pearl. Um, so that, that's, that's the direction I went. Um, and, and we'll know soon. I think uh, Monday night here, we'll, we'll know um, the specific Mississippi uh, awards. I can't remember what the award was called now. Um, the Howell, you know, Howell and the ba- Yeah, the Bailey Howell Award. I think tonight we'll know. And, um, you know, on the men's side, I, I think Iris and Molinar will – I'd be surprised if Iverson didn't win on the men's side. On the women's side, it'll be interesting between, you know, Shakira Austin and Anastasia Hayes, uh, who ends up getting it. Because those are um, two players who have yeah. magnificent seasons in, in the SEC. Yeah, that, that is uh, coming up uh, this evening. That's right, uh, in Mississippi. Uh, hey, let's talk about, uh, look, uh, you, you mentioned that, that these all-conference uh, votes uh, – there, there is a team element involved. There is for me. You know, when I'm voting in this, right. you know, I, yeah, I do want to consider uh, and give uh, extra consideration to players who are from uh, the winning teams. And I was all in for Ives and Molinar when it looked like State was going to win more games. But uh, right. just haven't. I really like his game. I really like – I think he gets to the rim uh, and, and controls his body and, and scores and finishes as well as anybody in the league. But the complete player does that and shoots better from three. You know. That's what that's what the NBA conversation is going to be like for him. And and he I mean he shot better from three last season. So it's not like he he's you know never been able to shoot threes. You know, he's not Ben Simmons. He 
he's just having more of an off year. At least you would hope if, if you're Iverson or, or one of the scouts. Um, but but he'll he'll be an early second round pick. Um, you know, in, in the NBA, and um, obviously that would depend on him declaring. But you would imagine if, if there's a bit of a coaching change coming up, that you know, going to the NBA would be um, the the better move. Um, but but yeah, he, I mean, he's listen. Just because I left him off the ballot does not mean he hasn't had an outstanding season. You know, being the third best guard in the SEC means that you're pretty dang good, right? So he, he's, you know, he's right up there in that in that discussion, and and you know, he changed a lot of games for Mississippi State. I mean, there's a lot of games that that game against Kentucky doesn't go into overtime if he doesn't go just crazy in the second half, and it's just completely unstoppable. So he, he could have definitely argued that that he's a snub, and, and and he could end up being on the team. I mean, there's a lot of other people who are voting that that could put him on that team. So um, you know, it, it's just to him being in that conversation is probably a testament to how good of a season he did have, whether or not he's on that team. Um, I know there's a lot of talk about Ben Howland, whether he returns as coach next season or not. Uh, my understanding from what I hear is a decision has not been made on that uh, at this point. Uh, are you hearing anything uh, on Howland's status? Yeah, I, I think at this point, you know, going into February, there was a lot of, um, you know, talk about, okay, well, you know, if you make some kind of run and they make the tournament, the, the talk at the start of the year was always, if he doesn't make the tournament, he's gone. If he makes the tournament, he stays. And then there was there was part of me that was wondering, you know, if this team claws its way into a bubble spot in the tournament and loses in the first round, is that really still, like, how unproven, um, you know, that he deserves this job? Is, you know, is that a, a inspiring enough to, you know, go lose in a 5-12 matchup or something like that? Um I definitely think the push, you know, with, with the way things are going now is um, that, that he won't he won't be around next season. Um, obviously, the decision hasn't been made with, you know, with the season still going on. You know, he'll be in Tampa um, coaching them. Um, but but I have heard that that Cohen is interested in and, in, you know, and has reached out to some uh, other potential candidates to kind of gauge what their interest will be like this offseason. You know, keep in mind, a lot of the you know, mid-major coaches who will be getting, you know, attention from schools like Mississippi State are getting that attention because their mid-major is playing in March, right? And, you know, you're not going to get a coach from, you know, let's say a George Mason um, who's going to be, you know, leaving right before March Madness begins or even interviewing. So, um, you know, a lot of just, you know, general stuff of, of uh, you know, Cohen reaching out and being like, hey, you know, what do you know about this guy? What do you know about this guy? So there, there's definitely been uh, interest from Cohen to, to kind of start moving in the other direction and, and whether that's you know, made finalized uh, will probably depend on, I guess, when the NIT is. Like, are, are you going to push for, you know, Holland to be around for the NIT? Are you going to get rid of him and then turn down the NIT? That, you know, that, that it's kind of similar on the women's side is how are you going to use the NIT? What are you going to do with it? And that'll probably help, you know, give us some kind of timeline of when these decisions are made. Michael, let's shift gears, talk baseball a little bit. Uh, Ole Miss with its first loss of the season in game two at UCF and bounced back in a very, very controlled, business-like uh, win in game three. Uh, remains number two. I thought that was uh, a show of respect to uh, what they've accomplished so far and probably to, to UCF and the series that they won on the road, uh, number two in the D1Baseball.com top 25. State dropped like a rock after losing to Tulane, but they, you know, that, I think that's a cumulative effect of the Long Beach State Series, the Northern Kentucky loss, that they dropped from nine to 23. Start us off uh, with Ole Miss here. Uh, what, what do you see from this team right now? What, uh, what impressed you about them 
in the UCF series, uh, going on the road for the first time. Obviously, with Ole Miss, you know, the schedule has gradually uh, increased uh, in difficulty, going from Charleston Southern to VCU and, and then a road series. So what do you see in this team right now? Yeah, I mean, I, I think the biggest thing is, you know, obviously, like, losing that first game is not great, but they gave up one run, and that was the whole question this whole year, right, was can the pitching staff hold up? And, you know, I think – if we were, if they were going to lose, I think we all expect it to be like a ten to nine game, like because because they're, you know, the off, you know, the offense is usually going to do what the offense does. You know, they've scored under eight runs, I think, once, and it was that game. Um, I, I think for me, it's 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 that that pitching and and really kind of that bullpen has been really really good. Um, I mean, Hunter Elliott's a guy who's who's worked out of there, uh, Delusha, Doherty, Johnson. I mean, all these guys have been putting up really nice numbers and getting a lot of strikeouts and coming into tough situations. Uh, when the starters, you know, the starters are going four-ish, um, and these guys are coming in and for the most part putting up pretty solid outings. And, you know, to, to give up one run in 12 innings or whatever it was a couple of days ago, um, I mean, that's it's impressive, especially with the UCF team that, again, we talk about the jump in competition. It was definitely the best that they had played thus far. And uh, I, I think, you know, the offense is, is going to do what the offense does. Most days it is not going to be held without a run. And we saw that yesterday when they bounced back and, and did what they were expected to do. I think it's really the the the, the what they've gotten out of the uh, from 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 the arms thus far. Uh, has has been pretty encouraging and I think that was really I mean that's the only question we had right was was can that hold up and yes it's very early and it's only been 11 games or whatever but it's held up about as well as you could ask and I I think that's that's part of the respect factor of of yeah we knew the offense was good but hey the pitching's the pitching has been pretty good too and I think that's why you know we still see them at number two and uh, I think that's, that's why they're, the thing is why they're going to win a lot of games, uh, you know, e, e before SEC play starts. And, you know, we'll see what happens in SEC play. Obviously, the teams get better there, too. But uh, I think it's been encouraging so far. Do you think that SEC teams are better than Northern Kentucky and Charleston? Southern? I mean, hey, 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 no disrespect to Alcorn. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they're no Northern Kentucky. They're no LSU. <laughs> I tell you what, man, I saw State beat Grambling two to one, and I thought, man, uh, Art Briles could have helped both the offenses with these teams, man. <laughs> but uh, anyway, um, it's interesting to see uh, the Ole Miss pitching uh, start off the way it has. It's been a good start for them, and, and that was, uh, you know, a, a question mark. Um, Steph, uh, oh, before we leave uh, Ole Miss baseball, Michael, you know anything on Kevin Graham? He was injured yesterday. Then Kemp Alderman came in and had two hits there. Yeah, I, I, I think I, our, our buddy John Macon, I saw him report that. Um, I was driving, of course, when the, when the game was happening, so I was kind of like following the tweet alerts and whatnot. I believe he's having x-rays on, on his hand. I think he was in a splint, um, yeah. so we should know more uh, coming up soon. All right. Steph. That's the big one, though, if, if he's out, because he has been uh, he's had a really nice start and he's sort of the unsung hero of that lineup. We, we all talk about Jacob Gonzalez and Elko, but Graham is really the steady hand in that lineup. Yeah. And you don't want to discount any injury, but there's so much depth on that team, man. I mean, like uh, a guy jumping up this Tolly kid I never heard of yesterday with uh, the RBI hit there uh, in the ninth. Uh, you know, Kemp Alderman uh, swinging well. Uh, 
Your backup catcher hitting 500. Yeah. So there's, <laughs> there's a lot of depth there. Yeah. Uh, but I thought the biggest baseball news uh, out of the weekend was the Landon Sims injury, of course, uh, on Friday night, Mississippi State's uh, uh, number one starter. And we haven't heard a lot on that, Steph. And what we have heard came from Will Clark. It's just been really strange. You know, what, uh, what do you know about this? I mean, Will Clark says that Landon Sims, said he spoke to Landon Sims and said Landon Sims heard a pop, uh, and that's never good. Yeah, no, that's, that's uh, the extent of what I know as well right now. And, and like you said, anytime you, you hear a pop in the elbow, it's not a promising thing. And, um, you know, uh, what I heard is, and obviously I, w- I wasn't there because I was up in, in Indy, but, um, you know, Landon went straight to the dugout, kind of had his, his ha- head in his hands. And, um, you know, none of the signs are very promising right now. And, and I know that Will Clark also said that no Landon was expecting an MRI soon. I was assuming that probably took place this morning. Um, though I don't know 100%, but I'm assuming, you know, once they got back to Starkville's when they kind of took care of all that. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's not promising right now. Nothing signs, sounds great. And it's going to be interesting if, if State is moving forward without him. Um, you know, Preston Johnson and Cade Smith have looked just fine as starters, and, and Jackson Fristo in, in some of the midweeks has, has looked fine as a starter. So you could maybe go with those three guys as your Friday, Saturday, Sunday rotation. But, you know, taking – once you move another guy into that starting rotation, it's someone you're taking out of the bullpen and, and it's already a, a shaky bullpen. Um, and it's a Mississippi state team that, you know, has played Texas A&M twice this week before uh, taking on Princeton. And there's a lot, of, there's just a lot of games right now for Mississippi state to, to kind of cover with, with a bullpen that's already shaky. Um, you start to look at this week and, and suddenly things get a lot tougher when, when you don't have the guy on Friday to, to kind of carry a large workload of, of those innings. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's as significant of an injury um, if he is out the rest of the season as um, as there is in, in college baseball. Perhaps, I mean, based on some rankings, he's the best pitcher uh, in college baseball. I know D1 baseball had him as a preseason number one. And despite moving from closer to starter, that they had that level of respect for him. And, and he had backed it up to this point. I know he was a little shaky in that game against Northern Kentucky. He looked really good in his three and two-thirds against uh, Tulane. I think he had... 10 strikeouts before he came out of that game, which is pretty impressive. Yeah. Um, seven batters faced and 10 strikeouts. That's, you know, right. That, that's right. pretty cool. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's definitely as big of a blow as there could be um, on the college baseball landscape. And man, for, for Mississippi state to go from nine to 23 and, and have this happen, you know, so it, we're, we're turning that corner almost of where, where people are going to start saying, you know, you can't use it's still early, you know, as an excuse, you know, we're getting, I mean, one, SEC play starts in, in a couple weeks here. It's it's going to be full go, and and if if they're a not healthy and b you know unestablished in their bullpen, and and the offense still remains a little inconsistent, uh, it, it could be it could start getting ugly for Mississippi State. Yeah, two games against Texas Tech Tuesday and Wednesday uh, in Biloxi. I'll be there for those, Steph. I know you will be uh, traveling to uh, the SEC men's tournament uh, in Tampa. Uh, offensively, I thought the Bulldogs, what, you know, it looked like maybe they turned a corner in the first two games, and maybe they have, but uh, they did revert uh, on Sunday in game three and, and hit only four for 31 as a team. They hit 347 in the first two games and, and then just four for 31 after that. So uh, this is a team that, you know, still not only with the pitching questions that were already in place, now you throw Landon Sims into the mix with that, uh, there were questions uh, about offense uh, as well, but uh, you know, 
maybe uh, the two games against uh, Tulane uh, will be a a start uh, in turning that around. Maybe they become right. a team with an offensive identity. You know, Brad Cumbus uh, kind of uh, dropped off a little bit. He had, had a, a really good start, and, and he'll come back around. But uh, I look at him and the start that he's had, and it just – you know, him and – I think he and Tim Elko look like identical players, you know, just with uh, size and, and strength and, uh, and and what they can do, you know, at the plate. Uh, you know, uh, Elko has played some outfield, and, you know, I saw uh, State moved uh, Cumbus to center field, you know. Uh, out and of he played a, a good center field. Yeah. He played a good center field. So, anyway – uh, Tim Elko, your move now, playing center field. <laughs> yeah, you know, but don't, don't they? I mean, they're just uh, just big guys, man. You know, you you know, all baseball players are, are not uh, you know that uh, that size, but uh, just you know, size, strength, athleticism uh, from both of them, uh, folks. Uh, we have exhausted our size, strength, and athleticism here on Justify Your Existence, <laughs> but uh, we thank you for being with us today. Uh, for Michael Katz and Stefan Kreischnick, I am Parrish Alford of the Daily Journal. Come back and join us uh, another time.